Have you ever left out a pail of water and come back to a green, cloudy soup? Did it occur to you that this was food? No? Well, perhaps it should have. There's been lots of discussion around new sources of protein. Plant-based proteins are one focus, insects are another. Breville, a company based in Israel, argues that their technology will allow microalgae to move to the fore for sustainable alternative proteins. My name is Mike von Masso, and this is the Food Focus Podcast. My guest in this episode is Jonathan Golan, President and CEO of Breville. We talk about why microalgae is such a great potential source of protein and other nutrients, how they're producing it, what they get out of microalgae, and how soon these products will be coming to the market. We appreciate the time you take to listen to the Food Focus podcast. If you enjoy this or other episodes, please give a review wherever you get your podcasts. We're available on Apple, Spotify, and many other platforms. Reviews help others find it, and our audience will continue to grow. We welcome questions and suggestions for topics. You can contact us through our website, foodfocusguelph.ca, or email me directly at M von Mass, that's M V O N M A S S, at U O Guelph, U O G U E L P H dot C A. Well, thanks again for listening. And without further ado, let's go directly to my conversation with Jonathan. Jonathan, I appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today. Hi, Mike. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. So let's begin sort of fundamentally. Tell me a little bit about microalgae and why it's interesting. Right. So microalgae or these uh, microscopic algae that grow mostly in aquatic areas, like in water and in the oceans and lakes and rivers, they've been evolving for the past 2 billion years to be extremely efficient in, in multiplying and growing and producing an abundance of different ingredients, protein, oils, and other ingredients relevant for different uses, mostly in food, but also other uses. And they have this huge potential. I mean, microalgae are the most sustainable source of nutrition on, on this planet. I mean, there's no, no question about it, but as we all know, microalgae are not really Meeting this potential, not really a main source of nutrition in our uh, daily food. And this is because no one has yet been able to, to break through the glass signaling of this industry and make this uh, commodity, make this something really available for the mainstream uh, industry, main, mainstream users. So it's difficult to harvest, you know, I mean, as you say, it grows in aquatic environments everywhere and it's efficient. Is it difficult to, to, to harvest or, or what's, been, what's been the technical challenge there? Yeah, so microalgae really grow anywhere on this planet. I mean, if you put a bucket of water outside, after a week, you'll see it becoming a bit, a bit greenish. This is microalgae growing. It's not difficult to grow microalgae. It's really difficult to grow microalgae in a cost-effective way. And to grow exactly the microalgae you want without any contaminations, steady quality, uh, high concentration of protein and other properties. Microalgae are mostly grown today commercially either in outdoor systems, uh, just in outdoor ponds or closed tubular uh, reactors, tubular systems, where they use sunlight and CO2 and grow Mm -hmm. very nicely. However, this isn't really that efficient. I mean, the, the yields are pretty low. 
the growth rates were pretty low and the costs are too high to be relevant for the food industry. An alternative is to grow microalgae using fermentation, basically adding sugar to the process. Mm -hmm. And then microalgae grow very similar to yeast or bacteria. And they can multiply several times a day, grow extremely fast, grow about 100 times faster than in outdoor conditions using only light. However, and this is done today. I mean, today companies are growing microalgae in fermentation very efficiently at very low cost, but uh, it's done in the dark. So there's no light in the process in fermentation done today. You can think of large uh, breweries, large stainless steel Mm -hmm. tanks to produce beer or or for the farm industry. This is done only in in the dark. And then you actually lose almost all of the qualities, all of, almost all of the ingredients and functionalities, and eventually you lose all of the commercial value that microalgae bring with them. So you get very high yields, very low cost, but relatively poor in nutritional value, functionality, and commercial value because there's no light in the process. And really this, I mean, either very high growth rates and low cost of the biomass of the microalgae, or using outdoor systems, having light and having high value and efficient accumulation of ingredients and functionalities is this catch-22 of this industry for the past few decades, and no one has been able to solve it yet. Okay. So why are we interested in algae? Talk, talk to me a little bit about the nutritional value of algae. All right. So microalgae have a complete protein profile, means all of the essential amino acids and all of the rest of the amino acids are present as well. Digestibility is very high compared to plant-based sources. It has no allergens, no known allergens. And most importantly, as I said earlier, this is the most resource-efficient organism on this planet. I mean, microalgae have evolved 2 billion years ago. They've been the first organism to use external energy outside of planet, planet, planet Earth. Basically, you can grow microalgae on the surface of the moon. Uh, or you can grow them on, on the first Mars colonies we'll have, hopefully, in a few years. Uh, so if they're resource efficient enough to grow on the moon, of course, they're resource efficient. I mean, they're the most resource efficient organism on this planet. And this brings a lot of interest in microalgae as a nutritional source because they can really solve the majority of challenges facing uh, the food industry in its part in climate change. I mean, today food accounts to, depending on which report you're looking at, but between a quarter and a third of greenhouse gas emissions. And it's a huge opportunity to mitigate climate change through food, which is very far from being tapped. And this is the opportunity we have here with microalgae as a nutritional source. As a nutritional source, primarily of protein and uh, as you Oils. say... Also oils as a palm oil replacer, fiber, soluble fibers, and other ingredients, which can also be used for different food applications besides only protein. But protein, of course, is the flagship product from microalgae. Do you grow a different variety or species of microalgae depending on what type of uh, qualities you want out of it? Or, you know, if, if you're growing... Is there a protein microalgae and uh, an oil microalgae, or do you? Is it just how you process and harvest them? Right. So it is assumed that it, that in nature there exists about half a million different strains of microalgae. I mean, the variety is enormous. It's like saying plants. 
and he, yeah. there's a huge variety of different strains. They grow in, in a variety of different conditions, different t- temperatures from from freezing to volcanic areas, different pH levels, diff- I mean, a variety of different conditions. We grow, maybe I should explain a bit about the technology and then- Yeah, sure. That would be awesome. Yeah. Explain about the strains. So if I go back to the catch-22 of either doing fermentation or using light, we have been able to solve this challenge. And we're the first and only company today who's able to combine fermentation and light in a single process. We get both of goods from, from both worlds. We have very high yields at very low cost of the biomass. And because we have light in the process, our biomass of our microalgae are full with a very high concentration of protein, uh, functional protein, and a variety of other functional co-products, which we can produce alongside protein, which is functional oils, uh, nutraceuticals, uh, fibers, and a variety of other ingredients. And this actually means that we not only produce protein, but we can produce additional ingredients and additional commercial value from the rest of the biomass, from the, the rest of the microalgae, and through that significantly reduce the cost of protein and get actually for the first time to cost levels uh, comparable to pea and even soy, which are the main sources of, of plant-based protein today. So that you're generating this biomass with light in, in bioreactors, so in fermentation tanks, essentially, and that biomass is then processed or separated so that you have the protein component and the oil component and perhaps the nutraceutical components all from the same biomass rather than saying this reactor over here is a protein one and this one over here is an oil one it is that you're processing that biomass and separating out the components depending on what you're using it for exactly and this is actually not that dissimilar from say soy beans i mean soy protein there's only one of the co-products. It's actually a side stream that the soy industry had to understand what to do with. And this is the reason that soy protein is so cheap. The reason it's a commodity. Because, I mean, we produce oil and we produce fibers and gluten. And then you also extract protein as a side stream from the soybean. And this is true for any new source of protein. If it's uh, mycelium or, or microalgae or bacteria or yeast, or any other source for that sense, if you cannot commercialize all of these different fractions and get to a cost structure which really which is low enough to price protein at levels comparable to pea and soy, there's no chance of really introducing a new source of protein for the food industry at scale. I mean, you can always have niche and I mean you can have niche protein sources for high-end products for different niche applications, but if you really want to disrupt the food industry and provide a solution, a sustainable solution for the industry, you have to be able to extract all of the different fractions and all of the value from the biomass. Yes, you have a cost of producing the biomass and the more products you can get out of it, the less you need for those individual components. Exactly. It just makes sense from a production capacity perspective. I want to add about different strains. So, we designed, we, we invented and built our reactors for microalgae. And now we have experience with a, a variety of different strains. We now focused on a single strain, which we're now bringing to market. 
However, the technology basically is a platform which can be used for organisms beyond microalgae. Yeah, you can also think of uh, plant cell cultures, which can grow using fermentation and benefit from having light in the process. And this is a huge opportunity well beyond microalgae uh, for a variety of different ingredients and opportunities out there. So as a company, you're currently a microalgae company, but you are more a technology company that talks about a wide range of applications of your specific technology. Yes, I would say even more than that, we're currently a protein company using microalgae. Yeah, okay. Now, also in microalgae, I mean, there's uh, limitless opportunities only in microalgae, not even looking beyond microalgae. But yes, basically we're a platform which can be used for many, many different applications. So let me go back to microalgae a little bit, because one of the, you know, I have a son who is lactose sensitive, so he in a beverage, if he wants a, a breakfast smoothie or something, we often put a plant-based protein in there for a bit of protein. And one of the things, honestly, with some of these plant-based proteins is that they're a little bit grainy. They don't taste particularly good and the texture isn't nice. It's my understanding that, that microalgae sort of overcomes that. So if you're price competitive, you may actually be a preferred option because of the, of the flavor and texture characteristics of the product. Right, so let, let me break that down. First, uh, today, microalgae, or not that tasty, and that's saying the, the least. I mean, microalgae are green. They're, they have a very strong flavor. They're not relevant for plant-based milk applications. Okay. However, with our processes, with, with our technology, the way we grow the microalgae, the way we, I mean, the specific strain we use, and then the, the way we, we separate the protein very efficiently, from the rest of the biomass, we actually get to a very high uh, protein co uh, concentrate and isolate, very high con concentrations, uh, completely white powder, soluble with a very mild, even pleasant flavor to it. What you de described is actually very close to heart. Myself, I'm vegan and I have three yep. small children, ages uh, six, four and a half, and two and a half. And they're, unfortunately for them, they're also vegan. Um, yeah. <laughs> not their choice yet. Unfortunately, they eat their cereals in the morning with uh, rice milk, which is basically water and sugar. I mean, there's no yeah. nutritional value in it. But this is what I have for them to use in their cereals. And the reason the nutritional value is very low is that plant-based protein today have very strong flavors. I mean, pea protein and soy protein, I mean, like you mentioned, they have granular texture. They're not tasty. I mean, they have beany flavors. And yeah. if you want to use them in, in plant-based milk or in any application, you have to mask flavors very aggressively. I mean, plant-based uh, uh, soy milk doesn't taste any or anything close to soy. It has very high amounts of sugar and a very high concentration of vanilla extract to mask the very strong flavors of soy. And all of these, uh, especially in the dairy alternative space, I mean, milk, uh, plant-based cheese, plant-based yogurt, all of these products do not have a solution to add protein to the product. In plant-based meat, this is less of a problem because you can add, I mean, impossible foods or beyond meat. They use uh, soy protein and pea protein, and they just mask the, the flavors, so many spices and masking agents. That's less of a yeah. problem. 
But in plant-based cheese, you, you simply cannot do that. It's a very mild flavor to begin with. And so these companies are very actively looking for solutions to increase the nutritional value without compromising flavor. And today, a solution doesn't exist at affordable cost. And this is exactly what we can provide with our protein because of the way we grow the microalgae and the way we separate the protein from the biomass. Okay, so is your microalgae protein going to be sold to food processors who are going to add it to other products as an ingredient? Or is someone like my son going to be a customer because they'll buy containers of powder and use it as they would other protein powder? Right, excellent question. So we, we are a business-to-business company. So we work directly with food manufacturers. I mean, we're basically an ingredient provider. We're not only an ingredient provider, we provide a whole solution. We have our own food engineers who, who formulate and use and understand exactly how to use our protein and other ingredients in different applications. And so we provide a whole solution to our customers. But eventually you will see our product when you look at the label of the next plant-based cheese you will buy in the supermarket. It will have, say, 8, 10, 20% protein. And on the back label, you will see that this is protein coming from microalgae. And the product will have an excellent taste that the food manufacturer provides, excellent texture and an affordable cost with a very high nutritional value. So this is a, an exciting innovation and probably a real breakthrough, as you said, in terms of providing an alternate protein that is sustainable, excellent source of broad source of amino acids. You're based in Israel. When will these products come commercially available, A, in Israel, and then B, you know, eventually in North America? Right. So I hope very soon. And when I say very soon, it's in the next few years, this will become something more and more available. We're now actually really in the process of building a first factory in Israel, yeah. which will have commercial capacity. And we're already working with partners. So basically, that, I mean, the, the industry has a huge demand for new sources of protein. I mean, the market is just exploding. I mean, the amount of interest of inbound requests we receive today is, is amazing. And we will have to build capacity to meet that demand. Now, we, our core competence is in improving the technology, developing the processes, developing, uh, uh, using new strains and new products and improving on the technology. We're not, I mean, there are other companies out there who are much better than us in the day-to-day manufacturing in large factories and distributing and doing all of that. And so because we want to really provide a solution for humanity, I would say, I mean, to really yeah. provide this new protein for the market, we understand that we want to work with partners and not alone and build large-scale factories, uh, joint ventures with different partners okay. in different locations of the world. So we'd have multiple factories in the US, in Europe, in Asia, in Africa, wherever production of protein is needed. And through that, be able to scale in parallel into, into different locations and not be our own bottleneck in driving capacity to meet demand. And I think particularly for startups, it's good to understand what you're good at, what your competence is, and, and what you're not good at. So it's, it sounds to me like you're setting yourself up for success rather than trying to do... You know, I think a lot of startups fail on the road to trying to do everything and right. not recognizing what they're good at. So 
I've gotten to the end of the time, and it's been a, a fascinating discussion. I've gotten to the end of the time I promised I would take you, but I wanted to give you an opportunity to say, is there anything I should have asked you and I didn't? Um, <laughs> I think I don't want to comment on, on the current times we are. I mean, there's a lot of pushback today on plant-based in general. I mean, with all of the story of uh, Beyond Meat and in general, I mean, people are start, starting to think that this maybe this is only a passing trend and all of that. Very, I mean, I see the industry around us, and I can absolutely say that this is not a passing trend. I mean, the world needs new sources of protein. The world needs sustainable nutrition, and this is going to happen. It's going to happen at scale, and we're only at the beginning of it. Now, this will uh, transition in, in m- multiple waves, and Beyond Meat and Impossible Foods and other companies have done an amazing job and passing through this first wave and bringing plant-based applications into the market, into the mainstream market. And now this is, there is a new wave happening now of improving this product through uh, novel ingredients and novel technological solutions to increase the health of these applications, increase functionality and flavor and cost of these products and really bring a new wave of solutions that the market is so much waiting for. And the next wave, wave just after that, will be to do all of that in a sustainable way. And this is actually something that microalgae is solving already. I mean, we're solving both of these next challenges with microalgae. But eventually, I mean, and this is really not that far ahead. I mean, in a few years from today, maybe four or five, six years from today, we will have products that will be tasty will be very excellent texture, excellent fitting to them, very good cost and from sustainable sources. And this is not some, eventually we really don't have any choice. I mean, the food industry will transition into new sources of protein, into sustainable sources, and in the mid and long-term future, away from animals and even away from plant sources, which are great today, but not good enough for the coming future. It's interesting to hear you talk about that. And I agree with you 100, 100%, Yonatan. What I think, the one point I would add is ingredients are going to make a, a significant difference, uh, but, it's, but, but it's also new product development. I think positioning some of these new products as different and innovative rather than as analogs of existing products will make that will appeal to people who want variety and will also remove some of the risk of not delivering you know if you say we're we're going to be a plant-based burger that's just as good if they'd have said we're just a, a plant-based patty they might have been more successful but mm-hmm. i think product innovation is going to matter a lot as well right i agree so thank you very much this has been really interesting i'm looking forward to trying my first microalgae product i will have to wait a little bit unless i can uh, come to israel and try something of, from your from at least from your pilot plant but uh, thank you for taking the time and hopefully in a year or two we'll talk again to hear how uh, production has scaled up Absolutely. thank you very much mike it was a real pleasure Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Food Focus podcast. We strive to find topics of interest and relevance to people passionate about agriculture and food. If you have any suggestions, please visit us at foodfocusguelph.ca and leave a suggestion. We also have regular blog posts on the website you will find interesting. If you enjoyed the episode, please take a moment to leave a review 
wherever you get your episodes, the website, Apple, Spotify, or many other platforms. We appreciate your reviews and it helps others find us. Stay tuned for more episodes.